following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Well, it's good to be here. It's good to see you. If you guys have your Bibles, go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. And uh, today, after about a three-month uh, break-ish, we are jumping back into our series through uh, this great letter. But before we dive in, I've got this confession to make, and it's actually quite embarrassing, so spare with me. Uh, this week, when Pastor Dave asked me to preach, and uh, he told me what text we were going to be on, uh, or in, I wasn't like super thrilled, which is crazy. Here's Dave like, I can't believe I'm giving away this text. And I'm like, no way, you know. It's ridiculous. This is the quintessential text about the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus, which is incredible. And it should make anybody jump up and down with excitement. But for some reason, this thought kept you know, just in in my head, like a like a stinky bee, you know, just. And this is the thought that I had. The church already knows this. They've heard this a whole bunch of times, which is ridiculous that I was thinking that. But God, in his kindness, kind of just slapped me around just a little bit and gave me a lesson that I needed and that really changed my perspective. And uh, here is the lesson. I am in a stage of life where my kids are old enough that they can finally make their own breakfast. Nothing fancy, of course, right? But what that means for us is that that's cool because that allows mom and dad to rest a little longer. Now, what that also means is that when I come downstairs in the morning, I get to witness the carnage that has been left behind in the kitchen. There is stuff everywhere. There is milk and cereal and plates and egg cartons and the rest. And so when I come down, I'll look at my kids and I'll say, hey, don't forget to put your dishes in the sink. And what do you think that a seven and eight and a 12 year old say back to me they'll say dad i know <laughs> and here is what is going on in the back of my mind i know you know but you don't remember <laughs> i know you know but you don't remember and here is the lesson that i had to be reminded of this morning I am a forgetful person. We are a forgetful people. As you study the Bible, the Bible is a story about a people who know God's word, and then they do the exact opposite. That's what we are prone to do. And so this morning, I just have a very simple plan as to what I will do, which is this. I'm just going to remind myself first and then you of the gospel of Jesus. 
I need this reminder today more than anybody in the room. And I know you do as well. What, what did you bring through the church doors this morning? What, what anxieties, what, what questions, what doubts, what fears, what, what challenges did you walk into this room with? I don't know what those are, but you do. But what I do know is that the gospel is, is perfect for whatever that is. The gospel is exactly what you need to hear this morning. The gospel is exactly what I need to hear this morning and every morning. So with that said, let's just stand for a few moments and let's read our text and then we'll pray. All right, so 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the living God. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his Grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to your people through your word. I pray this morning that you would Meet your people where they are at. You know all the things that we have brought into this room, and I ask you that you would be so gracious and kind to meet your people. Would you encourage? Would you equip? Would you bring hope and peace and joy, Lord? Would you bring answers to questions that people have this morning? Would you ease and settle anxieties with your peace? Do the work that only you can do as the gospel goes forth this morning. Help us to see the beauty of Christ. Help us to see wonderful things in your word, God. And may you use this time for the good of your people and for your glory and for the gospel to continue advancing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. All right, so before we look at our text, let's just for a few minutes remember what the book of 1 Corinthians is all about. We've, we've been in this book for about a year or so, and we've taken a break, and so let's just remember what we are looking at. Now, I'll say this. I don't know about you, but doesn't it feel like life has been just chaotic as of the last while? There's unexpected difficulty all the time. At No matter where you look, there is difficult choices to be made. There is opposition and there is uncertainty. Do we agree that that is all true? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure that this is good news, but church, welcome to life in a fallen world. 
We, we live in this world that is groaning and that is waiting for redemption, and the brokenness of this world will enter our doors. It's a fact. God has chosen between the already of our conversion and the not yet of our going home for us to live in this groaning world and somehow God says that this is for our good and for his glory. There's no sense in the Bible that just because we follow Jesus, we get a get-out-of-jail-free card from the groaning of this world. And so that is exactly why we need the book of 1 Corinthians. In this letter to the Corinthian church, here is what we find. We find that you and I have a sturdy gospel. A gospel that is able to deal with all of the challenges of life, no matter what those challenges are. And so in this letter, what Paul does is he describes the kind of challenges that people, Christians, will face throughout life. And these challenges have brought great division to the church in Corinth. And so Paul, because he cares for them, He wants to help them, and so he answers for them a series of very difficult questions. Difficult questions like the question of divorce and remarriage. The question of gender roles in the church. The question of spiritual gifts. The question of sexual immorality and how we handle sexuality. The question about church discipline. The question about lawsuits between believers. The question about the food that was being offered to idols. Questions about my liberty, the nature of my liberty as a Christian, and how should I restrict, and if and how much should I restrict my liberty out of love for someone else? Those are meaty, difficult questions. In, in this letter, as Paul is writing, what Paul is demonstrating to these people and to you and me is that the gospel is able to bring answers to every single one of those difficulties. We have a great and big, wide gospel that reaches to every area, every nook and cranny of our lives. There is no difficulty, there is no challenge that is not addressed by the gospel of Jesus. And that is the core theme of this letter to the Corinthians. Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ resurrected. Jesus Christ reigning. Jesus Christ our righteousness. Jesus Christ our sanctification. And Jesus Christ our redemption. And so this letter is basically about what does it mean for you and me to live every day in light of the gospel of Jesus. How how do we practically live out the gospel of Jesus? In the in the crescendo of this whole conversation is this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul Paul wants you and I to understand this. You you will never ever know what it means to live in light of the gospel of Jesus in your marriage, in your parenting, in your hobbies, in your work, with your finances. You will never understand what that means if you don't understand the power of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. Because what Paul argues is that apart from the resurrection, 
our faith is useless. Without the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity descends down to being just another belief, just another philosophy on the shelf of philosophies. But if the resurrection happened, it changes everything. So Paul wants you to understand the implications, the the everyday practical implications of living in light of the gospel because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's Paul's big knockout punch in this letter. Now next Sunday when Dave is back in the pulpit, we're going to look at the specific implications of the resurrection of Jesus. But this morning, all we're going to do is just get the gospel clear. We're going we're gonna to set it out straight and simply, clearly for all of us to know what the gospel is. That's the starting point. And then we'll move on to the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. Now look at the text with me. First few verses. And uh, as we start, let's, let me say this also as an example. When I was a kid, I played a game called Telephone. Anybody else? Telephone? Famous game. You know how the game goes, right? A bunch of kids make a line. The longer the line, the funner the game will be, right? Then someone whispers a message into the ear of the first person, and they have to pass on the message from ear to ear all down the line until the last person in line has to announce aloud what they think that they have heard. And usually, it's a mess. It's this hilarious, garbled message. Well, the the Apostle Paul tells us that he has delivered the gospel to the Corinthians. But as we'll see, as the message of the gospel has been passed on from ear to ear and from heart to heart, the, the gospel message has become all kinds of garbled along the way. And the consequences for this have not been hilarious. The consequences for this have actually been quite disastrous. If you look for just a second at verse 12 of chapter 15, which Pastor Dave will preach on next week, you'll see just how confused their understanding of the gospel had become. So Paul asks them a question in verse 12. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Some of these people, for whatever reason, were teaching that there is no resurrection. And so Paul is going to argue that if that's true then Jesus did not rise from the dead. He's still dead. And if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then the gospel is this empty thing. It's a sham. And we are, of all people, most to be pitied. And so we should just close our Bibles and go home. And so Paul, starting in verse 12 and through the end of this chapter, is going to respond to this He's going to answer another difficult question. He is going to correct the way that the gospel had become distorted and garbled and mangled. But before he gets there, he is going to set the gospel forth clearly and plainly in these opening verses. We can't get the gospel wrong, is what Paul is saying. He wants to show them what the gospel is before he corrects their mistake regarding the gospel. And so in verses 1 through 11, Paul lays out with remarkable clarity a summary of the Christian gospel. And I'm going to try to answer four questions from these 11 verses 
And if you take notes, like I do here, are those questions. The first question is this, in verses 1 through 3, we're going to ask, what is the gospel? Then in verses 3 and 4, we're going to ask, what is the content of the gospel? In verses 5 through 8, we're going to answer the question, can I really trust this gospel? And then finally, in verses 9 through 11, we'll answer this question, should I really trust this gospel? So first question, what is the gospel? I'm not sure about you, but like I said earlier, I'm the kind of guy that needs constant reminders. I, I lose things all the time. I forget things all the time, and, and, and even more so now after I've had COVID, I've got COVID brain, you know? I, I lose my wallet. I lose my phone. I'm always asking my wife, hey, can you call my phone, please? I, I gotta, where is it? I, I lose my keys. Earlier this year in May, we had to pay about $190 to replace my key fob. So painful. Only to find my keys later ridiculous i lose everything i have my calendar set up to send me reminders to my phone two weeks before any appointment then two days before any appointment and then 30 minutes before those appointments and still somehow i mess it up anyone else like me i'm in the right room huh well well here in verse one paul says that his purpose for writing this is simply to remind the Corinthians and to remind us of the gospel. Because as it turns out, it is very easy to forget, to lose sight of, to become fuzzy about and to be distracted from the gospel. And, and especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, it could happen that the gospel becomes just something that you know. And it's not fresh. And so, and so Paul wants us to, to brush off the sharp edges and to make sure that we get it crystal clear. He wants the Corinthians and us to, to get on message and to, to stay on message. And so before we think about the content of the gospel, we've got to ask, what is the gospel? So look at the first three verses to answer this question. Now we're going to come back to these verses a little later again, but notice how Paul speaks about the gospel. In verse 1, he says this, it is the gospel that I preached to you. And in verse 2, he says this, it is the word that I preached to you. So so right off the bat, clearly you see that the gospel is this, this message. We can't touch the gospel. We can't be the gospel. We can't do the gospel. No, the gospel is... A message. So what we can do is we can tell the gospel, we can share the gospel, we can sing the gospel, we can preach the gospel. It's it's a message. It's a word. And before you guys get nervous and, and throw tomatoes at me, can we demonstrate the gospel? Yes, absolutely. We can we can show the gospel with our lives, but at its core, the gospel is this message. It's this word. Now notice next what Paul says in verse 3. The gospel is this verbal message that he received and then delivered. So in other words, Paul didn't just make up the gospel. 
There's no creativity on Paul's mind regarding the content of the gospel message. He says, this message I received, and what I received, I delivered to you as of first importance. So, so Paul is simply this, this herald with a message from the king, and the herald is not to intrude himself into that message with his own narrative his own opinion, his own version of the message. It is to be the king's message and not the herald's message. And so Paul simply delivers what he has received. And then he says, look at verse 3 again, that this message, this word that has been given to him for the Corinthians and for us is of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. And and here, what what Paul does not mean is is that it's first in a sequence of things. Let me try to explain this. Now, what what is the first do, what is the first thing you do when you want to build a house? You've got to get the foundation right. You've got to carefully lay the foundation, and after you've done that, you, you can move on from it and build other things on top of that foundation. Now, is that what Paul means here? That, that the gospel is this foundation, and that after you've laid it, then you can move on from it and build on other things on top of that. Is that what Paul means? No. We, we never move from the, we never forget the gospel. We don't just move on from the foundation and do other things. That's not what Paul means. So what does he actually mean here? No, the gospel is not like that foundation. It's not the first in a sequence of things that get more important as you go. The gospel is not something that you move on from and, and do other bigger and better things. No, the, the gospel is rather first in significance. The gospel is not a foundation that you build on and then forget about. The gospel, rather, is this rich, fertile soil into which we are planted down and down and down and into which we are to send for the rest of our lives ever deeper roots that we may be nourished by the gospel. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, but the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian message. No, the gospel is the A to C of the Christian message. It's not baby truth for new believers, and then you forget about it. The gospel is soul nourishment for the most mature of Christians and for every single one of us, whatever stage in the Christian life we might be. C.J. Mahaney said this, the gospel isn't one class among many that you'll attend during your life as a Christian. Well, the gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in. So, so maybe, maybe if you're struggling this morning, maybe if you're struggling with joylessness in your life, it could be a result of thinking that the gospel is elementary and basic rather than the life-giving truth your soul today urgently needs. Maybe the fears, the, the doubts, the, the anxieties that, that you're wrestling with, that we are wrestling with, are a result of looking everywhere else for joy and hope and peace instead of to the thing that 
is of first importance from which we should never stray and wonder, which is the gospel of Jesus. And so, and so Paul wants us to understand the, the priority that we must all constantly take hold of and appropriate and apply the gospel to our hearts. And this will never cease to be true. So, so what is the gospel? The gospel is a message that is communicated with words. It is truth that Paul did not come up with. It is truth, rather, that he received from God, from the risen Jesus, in fact, by the power and the inspiration of the Spirit. It is given to us, recorded in Scripture, that we may, in turn, give it to others. And it is a message of first importance. It's not merely elementary. It is life to our soul every day till the day that we see Jesus face to face. So question two then, given that the gospel is this message, what is the content of the gospel? Look at verses three and four with me to answer that question. Here's Paul's summary, simple and clear. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's, that's the gospel. It's got four elements to it. So let's look at those quickly. The first thing that you see is that the gospel is this message about Christ. You see that clearly right here. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose. The gospel is not my testimony. The gospel is not my story. Although sharing your testimony, sharing your story is a good and helpful thing to do. The gospel is not the offer of a changed life. That if you believe in Jesus, everything will be different for you. Now the the offer of a changed life is not the gospel, although a changed life is the effect of the gospel in our hearts. The gospel is not something to be done, although the gospel requires that we do some things, that we would repent and believe and obey. So Paul says, no, the gospel is not my story. It's not even your story. It is Christ's story. It's a message about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. We have good news for the world. Jesus has come. That's the good news. Now, the gospel is also not this transaction, right? If you, if you do this, if you act this way, if you perform this ritual, if you say these words, if you sign this card, pray this prayer, then you will be saved. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not this transaction. Rather, the gospel is a person. The good news is summed up in the person of Jesus. He's the one with whom this message Paul preaches brings us into relationship with. He's the one that your heart needs. Paul wants us to see that of first importance is the centrality of Jesus to every one of our hearts. So the gospel is this message about Christ. Second, he says that the gospel is a message about sin. Look at, look at verse 3. Christ died for our sins. Now, let me say this 
clearly and and carefully. But But I'll say this. Our fundamental problem as people is not brokenness. Our fundamental problem is sin. And those two things are not the same thing. We sometimes use these words as synonyms. And instead of talking about sin, we talk about brokenness. And that could be a dangerous pattern to fall into. And let me tell you why. When, you, when we talk about brokenness, what is the focus of the attention? It's us. Now, we, we ask questions. What's, what's wrong with me? What, what do I need to do to fix me? We become the center of the attention. Now, if you, if you were to ask my wife, Amanda, she will tell you, that I am in fact a terribly broken man, full of all kinds of dysfunctions and issues, but that's not my deepest problem. My deepest problem is that ultimately, not that I need some help sorting myself out, my, my deepest problem is that I stand before a holy God guilty. That's, that's the real issue. Sin isn't just brokenness or dysfunction. Sin is guilt in the sight of a holy God who stands in relationship to us as a judge. And apart from a Savior who can reconcile us to Him into right relationship, there is only condemnation and judgment for us. There's no way out from under that sentence. That's our issue. That's... That's our problem. And Paul says that the gospel of Jesus is so important because it is God's answer to the sin problem. That's the problem that it deals with. Not just our brokenness, though marvelously by the grace of God, when the gospel begins to deal with our sin and set us free not only from the guilt of sin, but from its power and pollution, we are enabled to, to think differently and act differently and master ourselves and and we do become whole and happier and less dysfunctional people than before by the grace of God. But the gospel itself speaks to the issue of sin and guilt and that is why we so badly need Christ. And whether you are not a Christian yet or you've been a Christian for years and years, don't we still wrestle with sin? What Paul says to you and me this morning, Jesus is the remedy. Jesus is the one through whom you can say no to sin and be set free from that. Why do we look elsewhere? He is the one that we must grab a hold of. And so the the gospel is this message about Christ, and it's this message about sin. And then thirdly, the gospel is this message about the cross, and the empty tomb. Verses 3 and 4 again, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again. So the gospel is a message of good news because all the bad news of my sins judgment was poured out upon Jesus and not me. That's fantastic news. 
God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus identified with our wickedness, with our rebellion, and he embraced the role of sin bearer in love for us, in our waywardness and in our wickedness. And God poured out all of his righteous wrath upon his son, and he died there at Calvary utterly, forever, one time for all time, quenching the wrath of God that you and I deserved. God's wrath was spent on Jesus so that when God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, we might become the righteousness of God. Then he rose in victory over the grave, our last enemy, and God declared Jesus to be righteous indeed. And in him, trusting in him, we are counted righteous also, vindicated and forgiven and justified and accepted, not because we are righteous, but because Jesus is righteous for us. And so God's remedy for the deepest needs of our hearts, our sin and our guilt, are found in Jesus, his son. And so the gospel is this message about Jesus. It's a message about sin. It's a message about the cross and the empty tomb. And fourthly, it's this message that is according to the scriptures. Paul repeats this for emphasis, doesn't he? Look at verse 3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And verse 4 says this. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And so... This, this gospel is not according to tradition. This message is not according to mere reason and rationality. This, this message is not according to human philosophy. It's not according to social setting. It's not groupthink. No, this message is according to the scriptures. This is a message shaped and constrained, founded in the word of God. I suspect that a, that a good deal of my gospel sharing would be far more effective if it were laced with much less of me and much more of God's word. And so because the gospel is according to the scriptures, let's get people to the scriptures. Let's get them into the word. Let's remember and quote and recite and open the book for people and say, look here, do you see this verse? Here's, here's what this means. Show them the truth from the pages of God's word. The gospel is according to the scriptures. And as we get people into the book, we are giving, giving testimony to the great authority and reliability of the scriptures themselves. Throughout all the long ages of the Old Testament history, God has been speaking to his people about the Savior who would come. The seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. The sacrifice that God himself would provide in place of Isaac on Mount Moriah. The lamb's blood on the doorpost by which God's people would find refuge from the avenging angel. The work of the priests in the temple and the blood of bulls and goats. The son of David who would reign from his throne and whose kingdom and government would have no end. The servant of the Lord upon whom the Lord would lay the iniquity of us all and by whose wounds we would be healed over 
and over and over again from the first page in the Old Testament to the last page in the Old Testament. The scriptures are saying he's coming, he is coming, this is what he will be like, this is what he will do. And then you get to the New Testament and you are smacked in the face with this phrase. This he did in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So the gospel, this message is according to the scriptures. And when we help people to see that, we are saying to them, this, this book, this book is a foundation upon which you may build your life. You can absolutely trust the reliability of this book. It is true. It is sure. So, so the gospel, what is it? It is this message. It's this word received and delivered of first importance. It is a message about Jesus, a message about sin, a message about the cross and the empty tomb, and it is this message that is according to the scriptures. Now, the third question we're going to answer this morning is this. Can I really trust this gospel? Anybody ever had that question before? Can I really trust this thing? If that's what the gospel is, can I trust it for real? How, how do I know the gospel is true? Well, look at verses 5 through 8 of our text here. The Corinthians were saying, you know this gospel you're preaching, Paul? I think it needs some tweaking. I think it needs some reconfiguration to make it a bit more palatable. I think you've got to change it so that it goes down a little bit easier. This, this resurrection stuff has got to go, Paul. And Paul wants to show them, no, 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 this gospel, this pristine, authentic gospel about Jesus Christ crucified and risen, this gospel, you can trust it. And here's how Paul does that. In verses 5 through 8, he says that Jesus, the Jesus he's been preaching, appeared. He was bodily seen by Cephas and then the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once. And most of them are still alive. Although some have died, he says, but you can go and find them. You, you, can, you can talk to them. Go find the twelve. Go find James. They've seen Jesus, and I've seen Jesus. And so Paul says, guys, there's a ton of people who have seen Christ and he is alive. I've met Jesus. He is, he is walking. He is eating with us. He is alive. This is a fact. This is true and utterly real. And you can take that to the bank and stake your life upon these facts. This is a sure fact, a sure thing. And of course, the answer is, of course, we can trust this gospel. But then that begs the question. Should you trust the gospel? The New Testament everywhere claims again and again that the gospel is a fact. We just looked at one place where it does that. In the opening verses of Luke's gospel, Luke, who writes to a man named Theophilus, says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to provide an orderly narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, it seemed good to me also to write an orderly account. So the Gospel of Luke is Luke's 
arrangement of the data and the information based on eyewitness accounts. The Apostle John in the first letter, in the opening verses of First John, says the same thing. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. This is no myth. This gospel is no fairy tale. This is not make-believe. It's not the same sort of thing you would hear in the Greek mythology of the Pantheon. This is something else. This is history. That which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We have seen it and we testify it to you. So we can really trust this gospel, but should we trust it? Should you and I give our lives for the gospel of Jesus? Should we do that? We'll look at verses 9 through 11. Back in verse 2, Paul says that when the Corinthians trusted in this message, that it did something amazing in their lives. In verse 2, he says that they are being saved by this message. When, When they trusted in Jesus... They were saved from from the penalty of sin. One day they will be saved from the presence of sin. And in the meantime, they are being saved from the power of sin. And if you want to know what that means, Paul then shares about his life in verses 9 through 11. He says, do you want to know what being saved means? Look at my life. He, he sets himself forward as the example. In verse 9, he, he tells us that he's really not worthy to be an apostle at all because he was persecuting the church. He hated Jesus. He was, we might say, a religious terrorist, wasn't he? He was traveling land and sea to arrest and persecute people who followed Christ. He was not someone who was sliding towards Christianity. No, he was as hostile as it was conceivable to be. And on one of those trips on the road to Damascus, as he was going to go kill and betray and wound and harm Christians, he meets the risen Christ. And Paul says in verse 10, By the grace of God, I am now what I am. So suddenly, seeing Jesus alive from the dead, The persecutor becomes the greatest preacher of the gospel the world has ever seen. And here's what that means for us. It means that if grace, if if the message about this risen Savior, if the gospel can take someone like Paul and, and turn him around so completely and so radically, well, don't you think that the gospel could do the same for you? Whatever, whatever is mastering you, here's what the gospel says to you this morning. There is freedom from that. So, so should you believe this gospel? What's in it for you? If, you? if you trust in this Jesus, if you trust in this gospel, you will never be the same. You will go from death, spiritual death, to life. You will go from darkness to light, from being without God, without hope in this world, to becoming this child of God and a member of his kingdom. 
a citizen of his kingdom. You will go from being on the outside to the inside, as it were. You will come to belong. You will have access to the throne of grace. You will be adopted into the greatest family in the universe. You will have the spirit of the risen Christ dwelling in your heart, empowering you to live a life that is bringing glory to the Lord. And you will see, as it were, for the first time. So, should you trust in Jesus? Yes. Yes, you should. You should abandon your life to following Christ. You should stake your life upon the gospel of Christ. Surrender all that you are, every area of your life upon the gospel. Paul says, this is what I preach. This is what you believe. That's what it takes. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Trust in him and you will be saved. Some of us oftentimes look to do a thousand other things. We try really hard. We are here every Sunday checking that box. We're good people. Some of you, some of us, are trying to dig ourselves out of a mess, seeking somehow to offset our bad deeds with some good deeds because maybe in the end that will balance out. Well, friend, let me tell you, that's a futile errand. There is nowhere else you should look. The good news is this, Jesus is all you need. And if you merely, whatever age you are, rest the weight of your life and your hope and your eternity on him, then you, like the Corinthians, will be saved from the penalty of sin. You will be brought into right relationship with God. You will be saved from the power of sin you will be finally able to say no to sin and yes to Christ. And then one day you will be saved from the presence of sin and all its effects forever. And from beginning to end, Christ will carry you. So yes, you can trust in Jesus. Should you trust in Jesus? Yes. 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 Anchor yourself on him. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Father, I, like I said earlier when we started, you know, this week, for some reason, I realized that the gospel had become, I don't know, just trite in my own life. And, and Lord, maybe there are people in this room that, are in the same place. So Lord, this morning, help us to see the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the gospel afresh and anew. And help us, Lord, to be a people who who anchor our lives on the gospel of Christ forever. Help us to be a people who who preach the gospel to ourselves every day, who apply the gospel to ourselves, to every area of our lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that you've set us free from the penalty of sin. We live not in condemnation any longer. Thank you that you've set us free from the the power of sin. We can finally say no to those things that have mastered us because of Christ. 
And one day you will set us free from the presence and the effects of sin. What a wonderful gospel we have, God. Help us to be people who who are gospel-centered, who who share this message and who demonstrate this message for your glory and for for our own good and for the good of other people, God. Help us to never stray or move away from the gospel. And if there's anybody in this room who may not know you, Lord, help them to see their need for Christ. Draw them to yourself and save them. I pray this in Jesus' good name. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.